Hey everyone, welcome to episode 259 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by an Aussie landscape and nature photographer, Ben Mays. Ben is quickly becoming one of my favorite photographers, as well as one of the most genuine and thoughtful members of our community. I've joined many conversations with Ben over on Discord and Instagram, and I was so excited to finally get him on the podcast for a chat. Today on the show, we certainly cover some interesting territory, including flow states, his shifting opinion on NFTs, his project-based approach to making new work, and a lot more. Before we jump in, I wanted to share a new resource that I created for you over on my website. I spent about 2 billion hours creating a dynamic spreadsheet that helps you build out your photography kit that shows you the weight and cost of your gear in one convenient place across multiple brands, including Sony, Nikon, Canon, and Fuji. I think if you're a data nerd like me and you're struggling with how to get your setup in your camera kit, it may be of use to you. Check out the choosing a camera link on my homepage at mattpainphotography.com. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Ben Mays, it is great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be on here. Yeah, of course. I feel like we've had lots and lots of fun conversations recently, and so it's going to be great to actually do it with a voice. Yeah, yeah, there's been a few of those uh, but big back and forth <laughs> DMs, but no, it's, it's good to good to be chatting in person or yeah, close yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Close as you can get when you live multiple continents apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for, for people that aren't familiar with you and your photography, tell us about who you are. Um, yeah. So if you don't know me, hey, I'm Ben. Uh, I'm Benjamin on social media, but you can call me Ben for short. I very rarely actually go by Benjamin in real life. Um, yeah, so I'm a 21-year-old Aussie photographer living in kind of the south of Sydney, um, which is where I've been for 99% of my life. Um, yeah, and I've kind of grown up with art and drawing and music and painting and all of that. And and then when it was kind of early high school, started really getting into photography. Um, and yeah, once that kind of that kind of evolved into becoming a really love a love for landscapes after a few um influential things like a a trip to new zealand with my family in 2015 um as well as you know visiting my grandparents in the blue mountains which is a a national park about 90 minutes from sydney and yeah growing up doing bushwalks with them and seeing waterfalls and stuff and then kind of fusing that with my love for photography um and then yeah going on holidays and shooting whatever we visited um when we were away just um yeah very quickly turned into a real love for capturing the landscape yeah i'm quite quite grateful that i started really young because i was yeah just meant i could once i finished high school and um had my own car and a job to fund sort of trips and everything i could just hit the ground running and yeah just um i've never looked back um still you know trying to my goal eventually is to make it a full-time career but um at the moment it's sort of that as well as weddings and real estate photography during the week uh, to help you know fund um, landscape work uh, but I now run some workshops as well I'll be running one in the Blue Mountains next month as well as one in Tasmania later this year as well as some other stuff too but um, yeah just love depicting nature both from the grand scenes to the more intimate scenes and have a lot more places that I'd love to shoot and explore uh, both in Australia and internationally. Yeah you picked quite a time to <laughs> to really yeah. make get get going right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old COVID hey <laughs> right <laughs> yeah oh dear uh, yeah uh, yeah thankfully 2019 was a productive year before it all went to crap <laughs> right on man yeah it's what's wrong with uh what's wrong with weddings and architecture um oh it's good like I'm I, st- I really enjoy that stuff as well um it's just it's not the main passion um so uh yeah landscapes is what i'm really get stoked on um but i also you know really enjoy weddings and property stuff and it's definitely more feasible for an income um at least for um starting out so uh yeah and i've been lucky to get some opportunities in that this meant i've kind of faster uh been able to more quickly been able to earn income from those fields so yeah i'm kind of yeah, using my camera pretty much almost six days a week at this point, which is really cool. Means I don't get rusty. 
friend. Yeah, so it's good. I, I think photography is really all I know at this point. And I went to study, but decided against it and just out of school decided to um, give this a real red hot crack and three three years out of school now no four this is my fourth year out of school and um yeah I'm super stoked that I didn't go into uni or college or and study just went straight into trying to pursue what I love yeah it'd be interesting to follow up with you in like 10 years and see if you still think that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we'll see how that goes <laughs> yeah yeah totally yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I wanted to to really kick us off by talking about uh, building community in landscape photography. You help run a really great place on an app called Discord that has emerged as one of my favorite places to talk with other photographers uh, in a civilized manner, uh, which is refreshing. <laughs> um, yeah. Over there, we engage in all kinds of deep and heavy debates, and somehow no one gets their feelings hurt. If you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about Discord and then tell us why the Discord server was created? Yeah, uh, so Discord's basically just like a, a website or an app that you can have on your phone, on your computer. Um, and I think it was originally kind of created to kind of cater towards uh, gamers more particularly. Um, so it's kind of, you can use live stream chats to um use while you're playing something or whatever but it's been really widely adopted especially since COVID hit as just like a really great um chat function and a live live stream um kind of option live just audio as well um and yeah so um after kind of getting a bit sick of where instagram was going and twitter's not exactly great for discourse with its character limit and you kind of have to cram polarizing opinions into a 160 character limit or whatever it is and it just inflames any little difference of opinion um and so yeah me i think it sort of started by tristan todd uh, who's you know great forest photographer over in canada um vancouver um and he kind of brought me and diptree on instagram his name's jeff um and a couple of others along to help run uh, a Discord server for landscape photographers um, across the world um, so that we can actually engage with each other in a meaningful and constructive and empathetic um, way. And also, like, not necessarily just for discussion. It can just be for posting our work or um, image critique or anything like that. So it was kind of – it was born out of frustration with the current platforms um, and a lack or something that they were greatly lacking, which was – yeah, a space for extended um, discourse and and yeah, interaction with other photographers. Um, and I, it's we're we're a bit past a year on now. Um, we had the one year anniversary um, a week or two ago, and we're just over eight hundred members now, um, which is awesome. And yeah, it's really evolved into this fantastic community uh, of landscape photographers. Uh, we've got people from you know USA, Canada, Australia, some from Europe as well. Um, and we've got, you know, different channels. We've got like just, we've got general chat. We've got uh, image critique functions. We've got post your work. Um, we occasionally have little live stream events um, where, you know, we'll have like a group edit of one photo and compare, you know, how we approached it and stuff like that. Um, and we've had some super deep controversial topic dis discussions as well. And like, you know, Matt gets involved. I get involved. A lot of people get involved and I've never seen, constructive discussion like i have in there and there's some yeah pretty polarizing differences in opinion uh in there but at the end of the day we will get to shake hands and be like look that was constructive we like people might not even be moved on their opinion but they still come to respect the other person's point of view um and it's, it's my little it's favorite favorite little corner of the internet for um landscape photography um so yeah if you're not in there already highly recommend yeah, we'll we'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes. And, you know, mm. speaking of which, you know, I recently shared that link about the server with other photographers over on Facebook, and like immediately, several people kind of groaned, like, "Oh, it's just another platform." Mm. Um, which you know, it's a fair response given you know the multitude of channels that exist: Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So, in your opinion, what makes this any different than that? Yeah, I'd say it's not it's not a platform to growing an audience or anything like that. It's not a platform for 
yeah, just purely sharing to an audience. It's a place for interaction. Um, it's you know you don't get followers on Discord. It's not a it's not Instagram or Facebook or Twitter in that sense. Um, it's purely there so that we can interact with others in an open way um, without you know like a character limit or um, yeah, it's it's just a place for discussion and interaction and um, yeah, without an agenda really. Um, you know, because you know the social media platforms are. You're there to build an audience, um, or at least some people are. You're there specifically to share your photos, and those typically have an algorithm to work with or against. <laughs> um, in how yeah, many people are frustrated with how Facebook and Twitter and Instagram have that algorithm these days, and yeah, it's just kind of not based on an AI predicting what the trend is. It's just purely people chatting about um, our mutual passion for capturing the landscape. Yeah, and there's there's no noise in terms of like ads or mm. you know people trying to sell you something or yep. you know things that aren't on topic on photography. In fact, you guys have a separate off topic mm. room. Yeah, we have an oh, we have an off topic channel. <laughs> if there's if people want to chat to people within the Discord about something that's not related, there's an off topic yeah. channel, so it gets isolated to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, which, which I is think cool. is great. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I've appreciated about the Discord, um, I mean, what do you call it? A channel? You call it a server? I think it's a server. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I've enjoyed about the server is that, you know, like you were saying, we get to engage in debates with each other Mm -hmm. about things like realism and post-processing or business practices or, you know, all kinds of other things that sometimes gets super heated on social media, but -hmm. it's kept super civil and, I don't know about you, but I've noticed kind of a softening in my own views due to the requirement to engage mm-hmm. thoughtfully and you're actually mm-hmm. talking to real people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you noticed some of the same things for yourself? Um, I think not necessarily a softening of my own views. I think it's just allows for greater empathy. I think empathy is something that can always be increasing without necessarily having to soften your own views towards something. I think you can have very strong views of something but still be very empathetic towards how other people may feel differently on a subject. Um, And so, um, yeah, I think what nuanced discussion allows for, which is something that, you know, the Discord server is really intuitive for, is allows people to have their strong opinions, but also be empathetic towards how other people might feel differently, um, which I think is key in just society in general, um, as well as, you know, within landscape photographers, because, I think there's too many things that divide the landscape photography community these days. Um, and it's totally understandable that people have very strong opinions on some of these things that are divisive. But at the same time, we're all just doing this for a love of an art form um, or love of photography, whether you want to call it art or not. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, empathy is something that I really try to keep towards other people with different opinions. And I think I a place like the discord server is really great for retaining that while having, you know, differences of of opinion as well. Yeah. I think there's a lot of dehumanization that happens on social media where, Mm -hmm. you know, you get pitted in one camp or the other, and then you start digging Mm -hmm. trenches and, and, you know, throwing grenades at each other and stuff like that. So I think something like this is a, is a really great way to kind of, you know, pull people out of their trenches and be like, okay, why don't you, seek to understand mm. their viewpoint here, you know? Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I think, for sure. I think that's important. Let's shift it to you, Ben. You know, I want to talk about your upbringing and, and your rise in landscape photography. You know, I understand like me, you're heavily immersed in the kind of predominant style of epic wide angle scenes with, you know, mm. heavy post-processing. Um, that's, that's how I was brought into photography way back in 2010, mm. 2011. Like that's all there was. But now you've been making more of a transition to the more intimate and natural style in your own work. And I was curious if you could talk about why. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily making a transition to that, but rather just an incorporation of that yeah, style. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I still really enjoy dramatic wide angle work. And um, yeah, and, you know, I think Photoshop's a great tool to... Um, Bring the most out of something and i i like to keep 
realism to a primary extent um, within my edits. But at the same time, I just like to make the most of a file sometimes and have a bit of fun with that. And just if I do go a little further than usual, that I'm just super transparent about it when I post it. Um, but yeah, I know. I think it was kind of mid 2019 that I really started um, getting into uh, the more intimate, abstract sort of side of nature photography. And I specifically remember it was a certain trip down to the Sapphire Coast on the south of New South Wales. Um, there's a very popular spot called Bermagui, which has these fantastic um, rock formations and stuff. Um, and I was down there with another photographer um, who's now living in London. Uh, his name's Jacob Lewis. He doesn't shoot too much anymore, but he was he was really good. And he'd done some workshops with Eric Bennett, which kind of um, influenced his, him kind of pursuing that as well as the wide angles. And, yeah, he just kind of talked to me about what he'd learned from Eric and then that kind of... Um, I kind of started exploring it, you know, when the it was post-sunrise or the light was a bit lackluster. We'd just shoot these gnarly, like, rock details because the rocks down there, like, the geology is insane. Um, just these crazy, marbly, um, really jagged kind of rock formations. Um, and so exploring those textures, the rippling water, all that kind of thing, the sand when it's been blown by the wind, all that kind of thing. Um, and I just... I really enjoyed the creative expression that it allows for and as well as the productivity, you know, if you're only shooting wide angles or dramatic stuff, you're limited to blue hour and golden hour and sometimes the Milky Way if you're into astro stuff more or if it's the time of year for it and that's it. But once the light's a bit too harsh, then you're, you're done or if it's flat and grey, then you're not coming away with anything. Um, whereas, yeah, once I kind of started really being open to the more intimate interpretations of nature and being satisfied with the fact that it wasn't maybe this crazy climactic scene, but rather a more quiet, subtle, um, just, uh, yeah, small portrait of a detail in nature that's um, still really cool to admire. Um, then, yeah, I just found myself both being more productive, more satisfied with my outings because I was capturing stuff even when the conditions were lackluster and, yeah, you just see photos everywhere, which is really cool and beneficial as a photographer. <laughs> so, yeah, like you don't have to be at this epic spot to capture a photo. You could just be strolling along and there's a cool little pattern of sand or cool little cluster of rocks or whatever, and it's a, it's a photo. So, yeah, that was kind of my influence. And then since then, I've like discovered so many fantastic photographers who really pursue that style. And um, there's a lot of really underrated photographers out there who have a fantastic eye for those small scenes. And so, yeah, I just take a huge amount of inspiration from a wide range of people and try to incorporate different ways of approaching a scene and techniques and stuff into my own work. And, yeah, it's just never-ending inspiration, really. One of the things I love about that, because uh, I had a similar experience as you, like mm. once you start looking for that type of stuff, it's everywhere. <laughs> mm. And yeah. then you start going, oh, my God, how many awesome photos have I missed over the years? And Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> To your point, yeah. it opens up like a whole new world of possibilities. And mm. and what I love about it is that it it's your photo, right? Like it's almost impossible to duplicate someone else's small scene. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you can make variations of it or whatever, but yeah, it's not like in like most of the wide angle work we see where it's like, oh, I've put my tripod there. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Although it I just has been... a different feeling to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, although I, we were just like literally about thirty minutes ago, an hour ago, I was chatting to Brent um, uh, Clark in the Discord, yeah. and he was like coincidentally captured on an almost identical frame to Alex Noriega before going on a workshop with him. And so they both like independently almost captured the same frame at the same spot, which is like a three hundred millimeter um focal length shot which is pretty funny uh so it's like a very very rare instance where it actually did happen but um yeah for the most part it's much more likely to be very unique to you um which is yeah really cool and rare in these days where there's so many people pursuing photography and digital photography has been out for a while and photography landscape photography in general has been around for even longer so the longer it lasts the more difficult it is to create something unique and um yeah, those intimate scenes, there's infinite amount more of those than there are dramatic landscapes. So um, Yeah, I mean yeah. and it's not it's not like it's new. I mean Elliot Porter was doing it way yep. back in the day. You know, I mean 
yeah. more contemporary. We had William Neal was doing mm. it on film back in the you know seventies yeah. and eighties. So yeah, um, it's not necessarily new, but I think it's nice to see that a lot more people are discovering that style. Yeah, and for sure. um, I don't know about you, but uh, from a pure appreciation of the art form perspective, it's certainly gives you a lot more interesting stuff to look at. You know. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I get, I hate to say it, but like maybe because of Instagram or whatever, but you, it gets boring, you know, to start seeing the same compositions of the same scenes and mm. the same conditions. And, you mm. know, it's just like, uh, this, there's that shot again. Yeah. But with this kind of work, I, it's like every photo's got some different flavor to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, once, once you see someone make a really cool photo out of something that usually would appear innocuous, it makes it even more impressive, you know, because it's, if there's an epic scene, then it's not too hard to make an epic photo. Um, but if you've got some, you know, leaves and flowers on the floor as you're walking by it and you make that look amazing, then it's like, wow, you know? Um, so I think there's a real um, appreciation, appreciation of the skill and art form in that sense as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember as not that long ago, maybe 2017, mm. I remember saying I was on a trip with um, Ron Coscarosa and Sarah Moreno and Alex Noriega. Yeah. And I was telling them, I was like, I just can't see that stuff. I don't know how you guys do it. I just don't see it. Mm. And then I don't know, like they went out with me, they showed me some stuff and like it just something sparked and mm. now I can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good moment to have and just you need someone else who's kind of had that moment to, well, you don't need it, but it's really, it's very helpful to kind of have someone who's had that kind of eye-opening experience to help you get there. And then once you do, then it's just kind of, yeah, you see, see it everywhere. Yeah, I was also curious um, what you think seems to influence people to gravitate to one of those styles over another. In my experience, it's largely due to both social media as well as maybe the way in which various competitions have rewarded a certain style of work. I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I don't know. So when it comes to the wide angle stuff, you know, I think there's definitely people out there who have um, leaned towards that because it's what's popular and because, yeah, maybe it is rewarded in competitions. But I think there's a lot of people, like including myself, I I just leaned into it because I thought it was awesome. <laughs> I thought it was really cool and I – I, I naturally have a taste for things that are quite climactic um, and, uh, yeah, and, like, also prior to getting into photography, I really enjoyed dabbling around in Photoshop and making little composite scenes and stuff, um, yeah, when I wasn't really picking up a camera at the time. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's, and then, like, the art and even music that I really like as well is very often very climactic and dramatic um, work. And so... Then when I first got into photography, you know, what I was seeing, like, you know, stuff from like Ted Gore and stuff like that, um, I like, I just, I loved it. it was, I thought it was really cool. And I think, you know, there's, for someone who's just getting into landscape nature photography, what's going to catch their eye is stuff that's just epic and dramatic and awesome to look at. And so, uh, at least for me personally, I'm just, it's, I'm an anecdote. Maybe the majority is the fact that they thought it was the trend on social media or whatever. But for me personally, I just got into the dramatic landscape stuff with, you know, slightly heavier processing than usual um, purely because that's what I really enjoyed. I had a background in being content with messing around in Photoshop. Um, my tastes kind of naturally lean towards those yeah, really climactic sort of moments and stuff. So just kind of it was pretty natural. That's just because of my own personal artistic taste um was what got me there um and then yeah i don't know it's interesting that you were dabbling and stuff like that in photoshop um i'm assuming more as from like a illustration perspective or doing paintings mm -hmm. or things of that nature before you were really into photography and i'm i'm curious if that if if you feel like that maybe has helped you form kind of some of your opinions about, you know, editing and things like that. Because for me, it was the other way around. Like, I didn't even know what Photoshop was until yeah. after I had a camera. I mean, I heard about it, but I never touched it. Um, and then I started using it because I was picked up a camera. So I'm 
curious if that influenced you at all. Yeah, I don't know. So I think, yeah, because I mean, like I was affluent in Photoshop before I was affluent with the camera. Um, affluent's probably not the right word there, but proficient maybe. Yeah, <laughs> um, proficient, proficient's the word. <laughs> Yes, I was proficient in Photoshop or at least semi-proficient in Photoshop before I was semi-proficient with the camera Um, and obviously both of those have increased in the years since I've been doing it. Um, It wasn't really painting that I was doing. It's more just little composite things like little you get Photoshop tutorials to download stock photos and make a guy look like his limbs are made of water and stuff like that, you know, that sort of thing. There's dumb little things like that. Um, So, yeah, I know kind of scene creation um, was something that I – uh, really enjoyed already and not that I am a composite artist I never really was a composite artist um, but it just kind of yeah meant like when I was seeing people doing the editing and stuff like that or seeing stuff that obviously wasn't straight out of a camera I was like yeah that's fine I'm, I have no qualms with that because I enjoy like it's just fun for me um, to use Photoshop as a tool um, and you know when I was 14 15 I didn't care whether it was an accurate depiction of nature or not if I just made a semi gray sunrise just super warm and kind of try to make it look like a burner <laughs> it's not something i'll do these days but yeah i don't know i think that yeah that typically i think that certainly um made me not view the more liberal approach to editing with this very cynical view i think i was still quite open to it i was like if that's what people are keen on that's what they enjoy that's where they naturally lean in their artistic process then they should go for that um I think, and we'll probably be getting to this soon, but I think, yeah, just uh, transparency is the only key thing is not passing off edited experiences as real life experiences um, and saying that this you know, stretched mountain and uh, dropped in sunrise was something I really saw that day. I think just avoiding that and just being like, hey, yeah, I, this is a photo I created. I stretched the mountain. I did a bit of correction um, and dropped in the sky because it was lackluster in that morning and that's just what I felt like doing, then I think as long as you're clear with that, then it's okay. Um, yeah, the only thing I really have issues with is passing off edited experiences as real-life experiences. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. the same way, although I can't unsee that stuff when I see it. It's like, mm. there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't want to pound that particular topic into the ground because I think we've kicked that dead horse a few times on the podcast um and <laughs> yeah, cool. people are probably already screaming at their headphones so uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is curious though i think to to you know i think more importantly is at least from an interest perspective is you know what are di- people's various like how do they get to those points you know mm. and i think that's why i was curious to hear about your early involvement in Photoshop before you were even into photography. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, I do think, I, I think this is right. And I, I think Ted Gore was actually a, he's a compositor. Like that's his full-time job, like for the movie industry yeah. or whatever. So like, yeah, like visual VF, um, VFX yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. that makes sense that he would be super into that in photos too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you and, know you know, he's mean? got like, a, he's got like an artist statement on his website as well saying that he takes a liberal approach. So I don't, yeah. Um, I think stuff like that I'm fine with because he's obvious, he's transparent about it. Even Mark Adams has something like that on his website as well, saying that the digital age means he's happy to, for uh, transient things like weather and stuff like that, he's happy to manipulate. It's just the permanent things he'll be more um, like rigid with, um, although he's still probably a little liberal in some areas. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah, transparency is the key thing. I've said that three times now, so I won't say it again, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, no, it's funny because I, I literally spent like four hours today writing of an article about this. So mm. it's maybe my brain is tired of talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can move on if you like. <laughs> so I, I do want to talk a lot more about your work. You know, I know you already brought up your the project you did for the sandstone rock patterns and I really enjoyed the article that you wrote about that and about your kind of your approach to creating those photos and what, what it meant to you to create them. And I'd be curious if you could talk a little bit more about kind of your motivation around creating that project and perhaps talk a little bit about how it might, how it's changed you as a photographer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like mid last year. Um, I, 
uh, went out to the Royal National Park, which is yeah, just a national park in quite close to Sydney. Yeah, spent a few hours just taking photos of sandstone rocks with um, yeah, in like mid afternoon light sort of thing, and went back and. I, t- I think it took like 500 frames in the space of a couple of hours. Didn't use all of those, obviously. but um, And then, you know, along with a few others that have been sitting in the hard drives, edited those and released them as a gallery, um, which I titled uh, Geomorph, um, which is, yeah, just kind of exploring the rocks and shapes and lines and patterns and colors and textures that you can find in rocks, which, you know, it's like, a, uh, like an inno- really innocuous kind of subject that most people would just ignore as they walk past there. Yeah, it was just... It kind of it happened because I'd done a few hikes through that area. Um, it's a section of uh, in the Royal National Park along that kind of South Sydney coast. Um, there's a hiking track called the South Coast or the Coast Track, and it um, runs from about 26 kilometres um, down the coast. And you know, if you're familiar with Sydney name areas for any Aussie photographers listening, it's uh, from Bundina to Otford, so kind of a bit further north of uh, Wollongong, kind of southern area, the very just south of the Shire. And, yeah, so I'd, I'd done like a couple of hikes through there um, with some mates. Uh, one of them I did an overnighter for the full span of the track. Uh, another time I did like maybe half the track with some other friends and had also done just a couple of mini bush walks around that area. And every time, that was without a camera, every time I passed through there. And whenever I passed through this couple, maybe 1K sort of section, I noticed these just fantastic like yeah, the sandstone was just colorful and swirling and varied and had these great textures and everything. And so every time I walked past, it just kind of accumulated in my head these kind of ideas of how you could capture it. And I kind of reached a point where I was like, okay, I've got to shoot this area. And um, like I'd taken some reference photos on my phone that was like, okay, this would actually turn out good. I've got some frames that I actually have in my head that would look great as a intimate abstract sort of shot. And so, yeah, just went out with my girlfriend one Sunday afternoon and uh, it's about 40 mo- forty minute walk into there. Just went with um, one camera, one lens, which uh, was a 24 to 200 uh, Nikon Z lens, which was actually really key because it allowed me to go from semi-wide at 24 mil to quite telephoto by 200 mil um, without even having to swap lenses. Um, and, yeah, so going in with this familiarity with the area and ideas of how to capture it already and this... Um, gear that allowed me this consistent uninterrupted workflow uh, the stabilization you know meant I didn't need a tripod either um, and I just got into this awesome flow state and just captured like yeah photos of rocks for two hours and it was awesome it was one of my uh, most enjoyable experience of shooting um, that I've ever had in my life and um, yeah one of the most productive two hours of shooting I've ever had yeah, it wasn't necessarily a new subject or concept for me at the time. You know, I've been shooting kind of rock details and stuff for the past couple of years, um, but I hadn't really released, I hadn't ever really done a focused gallery or project of sorts ever before. And so, yeah, it was just really cool and fun to just go to town on this one subject and rather than uh, sneak little frames when I'm on the way to somewhere else or if the conditions aren't great, then I'll settle for rock shots but instead actually deliberately going out and making that the sole, the sole goal to capture. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, yeah, there's an article on my website on my experience, which, you, yeah, you can find there and which kind of goes into the experience of capturing that as well as the concept of flow state as well. And now that was kind of like a case study for achieving flow state. Yeah, well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um so yeah, let's talk more about flow states. I think that's something that people would be really curious to learn about. And I think part of the challenge of it is it's so kind of conceptual and it's, you know, you either, when you, you either know you're in it or you don't, you know, and I, I think yeah. um, I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about kind of your process for getting into a flow state, what it looks like when you're in a flow state, uh, what are the, you know, what does that even look like for you? Yeah, um, I don't know. So at least in my experience, it's just kind of you just create your creative neurons are just fly, firing on all cylinders. And yeah, I, so I, I did a fair bit of research into it once I, when I wrote my article and the experience as well. And it was kind of only like often it's only looking back on it that you realize that that's what was happening. Um, often like you're at the time in the time you just think I'm just shooting um, and it's just very productive. But you look back on it and it's like, oh, damn, like that was awesome. Um, 
you just kind of come off this adrenaline high and you're just left kind of smiling, be like knowing that you were just, yeah, creating some really good stuff and you were just fine, like just really honing in on really quickly on exactly what you wanted to capture. And so, yeah, I kind of, yeah, did a fair bit of research into it and it was kind of like, no, like it's an actual psychological concept that's done, had, you know, research done into it and stuff. Um, and it's often achieved uh, by a, a task that we are proficient in, but we are doing something that challenges us in it. So um, it requires, it's not uh, something that isn't just super easy to do because then there's no resistance. Um, you need some degree of resistance, but then the ability to actually overcome that and um, achieve what you have in mind. And so it's that kind of pushing beyond your boundaries uh, sort of thing. And there's lots of ways to do that in photography, right? You can yeah. you can do it by limiting your what's in your camera bag. You know, maybe you only have one lens, mm. like you were saying. Don't bring yeah. a tripod, you know, making it harder mm. on yourself and shooting in, you know, quote unquote bad light, which by the way, there is no mm. such thing as bad light, but you know, <laughs> Putting putting yourself into situations that you might that might make you a little bit uncomfortable, mm. I think. Um, and to your point, I think it's also important to you know have proficiency at photography mm. first. Which I'm yep. guessing if you're doing it six days a week, you're probably a pretty darn good photographer at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate that. I think that's um those are really good takeaways for people. All too often, people go out with these kind of preconceived expectations and. Mm of what they're going to get. And, you know, like they follow the same ritual of, oh, okay, mm. I have to do this. I have to do that. And I'm going to go to this spot. And, mm. and I think while that can yield great photos, mm. I don't necessarily think that puts you in a flow state and it certainly yep. doesn't challenge you, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah, you can be very methodical and scientific almost about like, how to capture a good one good photo like you can plan a good sunrise like the good sun alignment you can go out with a high cloud kind of conditions you can have scouted a certain composition and that you know you put that all together then you can certainly come away with a great shot but i don't think it's a um a way to get into flow state i think it really requires um and so something i really touch on the article as well um is familiarity with an area um so i think a huge reason why i got into flow state at the time uh was because i was familiar with exactly what i wanted to capture i was familiar with the subject and i had ideas of how to capture it already um and so i could just go in and just went to town on all these ideas that have been building up in my head um and i think there also needs to be something good to capture as well i think you need to be excited about the subject too and so i you know i was shooting these rocks and they were really cool and i thought they were really cool and the conditions made it work um and so i think there needs to be a bit of reciprocation on the other end you can't go to a, a concrete car park and be like okay i'm getting into flow state <laughs> there's no inspiration here but i'm going to make it work you know like it needs to be something on the other end that's making you excited about it but yeah i think uh, a lot of people, you know, they'll with the trophy hunting sort of style of photography, you know, sunrise at one place, sunset at another place, sunrise, like just constantly just trying to tick off location shots on a trip. It's It can mean you can come away with a bunch of reliable photos, like, you know, dramatic angles of icons or whatever that you know will work because other people have done that before or whatever. But I think exploring an area for days and or like and having developing that familiarity with the landscape getting ideas of little things that other people might not notice and just accumulating that inspiration from one area um, can really help productivity and just a unique take on something um, and yeah really lends itself to flow state when you're just letting all that inspiration build up by spending time and connecting with the place rather than just smashing in a shot getting out of there and just being super efficient about it, which I think is counteractive to, um, yeah, flow state and productivity in that sense. Well, it's interesting because I don't think I don't think of it as a binary choice either. Like you can do both. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was thinking about this trip I did last fall where we photographed this amazing sunrise at this spot that we were camped at. We knew it was going to be really good. Um, and then from there, I just hiked like three, four miles down this mm. abandoned forest service road and it had rained the night before. So all the aspen leaves were had collected all these, you know, all this dew in them, all this mm. water. And yep. 
and I was photographing leaves for probably, I don't know, two hours or something. Mm. And before yeah. I knew it, you know, I was like, oh, I'm hungry. Why am I so hungry? Oh, it's because <laughs> it's 11 o'clock and I haven't had any food yet. You know, it's yeah. like, that to me, <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, looking back, I was probably in some form of a flow state for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also was able to kind of capture that iconic scene too. So, you know, I think you can do both um, if you mm. want. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. I, I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes because I think people really appreciate that article. I know when you first posted it a couple of months ago, I really enjoyed it. So um, good job there. Oh, thank you. Total shift of gears here. And at the risk of uh, making people turn off the podcast, uh, I thought it might be beneficial to talk a little bit about your experience with NFTs. Uh, you know, for starters, <laughs> <laughs> for starters, if people need a primer on what the heck an NFT is or why it might be something that's controversial, they can listen in to the panel episode that I did last summer. Um, I think it'll help people out. We'll put that in the show notes. However, uh, my understanding is that, like me, you got super excited about this new technology. You dove in headfirst. What's changed? Um, yeah, so I kind of, I really got into them uh, maybe around May, June last year, um, which was um, Sydney had just gone into a lockdown that lasted about three months. Um, I was out of work. Um, I had nothing to fill my days. Um and, you know, the NFTs had kind of been on the rise in terms of gaining traction within photography and stuff. And the environmental discussion was not as big back then. Um, There's just kind of this crazy new um, marketplace where some people were doing really well in. And um, it was this really cool kind of utility where, you know, if people, if your work sells on, then you get commission um, for it, like a fixed commission, which doesn't happen anywhere else in the art world. Um, and, you know, cryptocurrency has been on the rise for a while. So I think people were kind of realizing that that might have um, long, more long-term implications or, you know, more permanent place um, in the financial markets. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of saw that I had, you know, all this free time and this rising marketplace. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give this a shot. This looks really cool. Um, I'm all for the concept. like, And I still am all for the concept of them. I think they're it's a cool idea and I think digital ownership uh, is something that, you know, a lot of people don't place value on it in the photography world. Um, but I mean, it's the same thing as like, you know, Spotify versus vinyl, you know, um, it's like saying there's yeah, a lot of <laughs> what, what, what's more widespread adopted Spotify or collecting vinyl um, these days. And yeah, back when it was released, digital was like, Oh, I I'd, I'd prefer to, buy it not pay for a streaming service but yeah uh, the world evolves technology evolves and people's opinions of how that function and where value is placed evolves um and so i thought if the demand is there and i like the idea of this marketplace then i'll get into it um and i was pretty got got pretty hard into it for a couple of months released a collection as well as a couple of one of ones um and yeah, I kind of went into it a little naively, I suppose. Um, and, you know, it helped me earn some income during that time where I was out of work and living on government payments and stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, it was it was good for me in that sense. Um, but I kind of I got a bad taste in my mouth after quite a while um, because you kind of – you're required to adopt this NFT personality almost. Um, and it's just – it's – it's weird. Uh, I, I, I'm, I've become quite distasted be, between uh, with the culture that surrounds it these days. Um, G- you're required GM, to just GM, GM, yeah, GM. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've muted that hey, my Twitter. Hey now. fam, it's, yeah, all that um, kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just you're required to participate in the same way as everyone else. You're required to hype it up in order to be accepted in that that community. The word community brings me a shudder now um but it's just yeah yeah so it just sort of functions in the like almost like a pyramid scheme in the sense that you're required to hype up the market in order to be accepted and sell within the market and the early adopters do better than the, the late adopters um most people who are buying are buying for 
with with the hope of selling it on as an investment later. And so they won't buy from you if they don't think that you're hyping up the market and building an audience and thus growing your value in your NFTs. And so, yeah, very rarely, not or not very rarely, but a lot of the time the value is placed on the artist's potential uh, investment rather than just the pure quality of the work. And so um, I think there's people with very, very high quality work who've tried selling in there who aren't maybe hyping it up and playing into the trend of um, the language and all that kind of stuff who are selling nowhere near as much as people who maybe have lower quality work but are playing the game. Um, and that's really frustrating to me. Um, me too. And yeah, it's just I think any any market where you have to change your personality and in order and follow the trend in order to have a place within it and sell within it is something that you should approach very warily and maybe consider not selling in that market. And yeah, then there's also the environmental concerns as well. Um, at the time, I was I I kind of got into it, then learned about it. Um, but at that time, you know, I wasn't making very high volume of sales and I was driving, not I wasn't driving at all because I was stuck at home in lockdown for three months, wasn't flying, hadn't flown for a year and a half. Um, I probably had the lowest carbon emissions that I'll ever have in my entire life. And so that, <laughs> right. <laughs> at the time, having a, I was quite, made me be like, okay, look, it's not great, but I'm not exactly releasing and selling out a 10,000 collection like these profile things are. And I'm not driving anywhere. Um, and so that kind of maybe at the time be okay with the emissions side, but now for work, I'm, I drive a huge amount, um, you know, for my jobs and my gigs, like I'm filling up my tank about once a week at this point. So there's a lot of petrol emissions with that, which isn't great. And then, you know, I'm getting back into flying to Tasmania and stuff for trips. And so having a holistic approach to my personal emissions, I think that it's not appropriate for me to also be doing NFT stuff. Um, and so that's just kind of made me look. Until it, it's until the culture is not toxic, and until the emissions are not crazy, I'm not. I'm just avoiding them. Um, and I still have my listings up because it probably takes gas to take them down. Um, it does. So, I tried, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. that's not cool." <laughs> yeah. So thankfully, the collection I listed, you know, is on OpenSea, so it doesn't actually use the emissions until someone buys it. I only had maybe eleven sales um, out of a collection of fifty, so I'm not going to spend. Um, I'm not going to take down, you know, 40 shots um, because that that'll actually create emissions. It's like quite unlikely that they'll sell at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think that yeah. So I kind of the concept I like still. I think the idea of the the way that they're set up um, for selling is a cool way to give back to artists with the whole commission thing and yeah, the residual payments. Yeah, yeah, the residual and, payments piece is really attractive and. Yeah, I think, and um, digital ownership, you know, I think is on the rise in all marketplaces, and this is just the f form it's taking in photography. And um, but yeah, the kind of the crypto scamming, some of the fraud that's taken place, the oh, massive, the um, yeah, the culture that requires, like I've seen people like change their entire personality just to start, like once they started selling NFTs, and it's like most, like if you scroll through that stuff on. Twitter, it's like they could all be written by the same person. And I don't I don't like that. I think um, and if anyone's listening who is into NFTs, please don't take offense to this. This is my personal opinion on it. And I think if you enjoy it and if you are taking steps to um, like if you're you know selling on a clean marketplace perhaps um, and you're being authentic to yourself, then go for it. Um, but I think you know if you're perhaps you know, selling on a, on a dirty blockchain like Ethereum and haven't taken steps to cut out emissions in other areas of your life. And if you've also had to change your entire personality just to sell in this marketplace, that might be something you want to reconsider because I think authenticity is a really important thing as photographers um, and artists and just people in general. I think it's good to be true to right. yourself. That's the big piece for me too is like as an outside observer, you watch some of the you know, some of the behavior you're talking about, like, mm. it's pretty strange, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, yeah. uh, and I'm not, I, I've, I've been, I've said this to lots of other people, but I don't, I don't know why they don't see that that looks strange from the outside. You know I mean? Mm. All of the code words and the acronyms mm. and the, 
Yeah. You know, just the super hyped up toxic positivity and mm. and you know, a lot of that's by design, as you kind of said. Mm. Like it's the whole thing is meant to reward early adopters and the more you can hype it up, the more you'll be rewarded for that. Have you watched that uh line goes up video on YouTube? No, I haven't. No. Oh my god, it's amazing. It explains every it explains everything. I'll yeah, put right. it I'll put it in the show notes. It's not only is it a good kind of primer for cryptocurrency and and everything else that you're talking about but also it talks about nfts and the culture mm. and the self-regulating mm. aspect of the positivity side of things and mm. the psychological traps that people fall into i mean it, it goes mm. into like all of the things <laughs> it's really good yeah yeah i think it can be done right i think if you do it authentically if you do it without heavy emissions like on a clean blockchain yeah, what is yeah, it? A then, then Solana, I think. It, like every yeah. Solana transaction is basically like a Google search. Yeah, like less than a Google search, I think. Um, so, yeah. like that's that's nothing. That's fine. I'm, I have no issues with that. And you know, if you're selling without having to change your entire personality to a hundred other people, and like you just, right. it's like if you're selling it as you as you would a print, and that's working for you, then I think that's fantastic, and you should take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the emissions and the culture that I'm not a fan of. Hopefully we didn't have too many people throw their phones out the out the window or <laughs> anything like that, you know. Because I think yeah. we we easily right there we could have pissed off both the people who are in NFTs and the people who hate NFTs at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. This is the kind of great discussions we can have on the Discord as another plug for that. So we've talked about this many times. So yeah, in there. So yeah. Difference no, of it's opinion. True. I mean, there's NFT. people there's people on that Discord server who are staunchly against NFTs and people on that Discord server who are big-time evangelists on NFTs, but we seem to manage to have really thoughtful and engaging conversations that don't devolve into name-calling. So yeah. imagine that. And, just, and even better, it's specifically restricted to the cryptocurrency channel, so it's not it doesn't bleed into the other channels. So if you want to avoid it entirely, you can. <laughs> right. You don't have to go out of your way to mute terms on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which is what I've added you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wag me. So if you ever, all that if you ever put <laughs> GN or GM in your tweet, I don't see it. So just so you know. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I've never used those terms, um, and I don't <laughs> intend to. So, yeah. Cool, man. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, what you have coming up um, that they might be interested in learning more about? Um, yeah, so. I'm running a couple of um, Australian photography workshops. Um, or one one's coming up in about a month, so it'll probably be. But by the time this is released, it'll probably be close to when that's actually starting. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm running one in Tasmania in October, which is my first interstate workshop, which I'm super excited about. Um, running that with Luke Sharkey, who's a fantastic uh, landscape yeah. photographer down in Tasmania. Um, yeah, we've. Of um, yeah, lucky enough to have him as a good mate. Um, have since twenty nine, I went down there with him at tw- in twenty nineteen, and yes, we'll be spending five days, you know, taking participants around the crazy, awesome west coast around there, which has the largest temperate rainforest in Australia, as well as these awesome uh, seascape locations. Um, and I'm also releasing um, another workshop to be taking place in December this year soon, as well as an abstracts one. That which will just be like an afternoon um, that I'm going to be announcing soon as well. Uh, so newsletter subscribers will see that first. I do have one like editing tutorial out at the moment, which yeah had a really positive response. Uh, I plan on releasing another one or more in the future. It's just um, I, you know I'm currently living at home in a family of six and share a room, so finding the time to uh, record is difficult. Um, but it'll get, I'll get there eventually. I've had some people request a specific shot of mine um a few times so yeah i've got a few that i'd like to get out there eventually but just hopefully this year i'll release one or two um, yeah, I'm ju- yeah uh for people that maybe can't visualize what some of these workshops would look like you've been posting some of your scouting photos from your tasmania trips um and some of the scenes that you're finding for your workshop mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. some pretty really amazing scenes that you're discovering and i'm assuming mm-hmm. you'll be sharing with your workshop participants as well yeah yeah i'm very excited um to 
yeah, for both my Blue Mountains one next month and Tassie one in October, um, they should be fantastic. Yeah, both for my five days. So you should really yeah, get to know the areas and uh, visit a range of spots. So should be good. Nice. Well, best of luck filling those. I don't I don't think you're going to have a problem though. Yeah, uh, Blue Mountains one has uh, four out of five. Um, the Tassie one sold out in a couple of weeks, which is really cool. Um, uh, yeah. All right. Well, last question is who would you recommend uh, for the podcast? Who are some artists that, that you really enjoy that you think people should learn more about? Um, yeah. Uh, so I've got a few that I've saved here. Um, just to say before I say this, I take a huge amount of inspiration from a lot of people um, and a bunch of people I wanted to say here have already been featured on here. So, um, yeah, and if, if you want, yeah. you can totally, yeah. totally run through that list. Um, but let's do the, the other four first. Yeah. Um, so I've got four recommendations. So I've got Matt Oliver from the UK, uh, really cool uh, yeah, woodland kind of forestry images that I really enjoy. And also just kind of, yeah, very UK style um, uh, landscapes that I really enjoy um another really unique one is caesar laniza um last name is double l a n e z a if that's hard to find um it just does some of the coolest like psychedelic like rock portraits and leaf portraits and trees and stuff that i've seen um it's really different for um intimate abstract sort of work and very colorful and yeah psychedelic's the word for it so highly recommend um him uh Jeff Freestone is a fellow Aussie photographer. Um, he's got a uh, very much his own style, which is really cool. Um, I always recommend Jeff. So and him, yeah. him and I uh, chat a bit uh, with our work. And, um, yeah, he has some really great um, Aussie imagery from down in the Victorian highlands um, of, like, our snow gums and all that kind of thing, um, and as well as just really creative, abstract, intimate work. Yeah, in um, fact, I believe he got second place in the intimate abstract category for the natural yes, he did. photography awards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yep. He sure did. Um, well-deserved as well. Uh, so yeah, a bunch of you probably seen his work before, but highly recommend Jeff to jump on. Um, and then one more in the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, is Pablo Ruiz Garcia. Um, I think he's Spanish uh, photographer. He just does his epic. Um, a lot of like, kind of panos and sometimes multi-row panos um of just yeah this epic kind of european scenery really cool astrophotography stuff and that very yeah kind of moody dramatic european style um, which i really enjoy his editing as well um so yeah he'd be really good too nice it's like enrico fasadi or max reeve or that kind of yeah probably closer to enrico sort of style um but uh-huh. more kind of panoramic work um, gotcha. and a little bit little bit more colorful um, than Enrico's work um, but yeah on top of that like I have like I have a page on my website dedicated to my inspirations like I have like several uh, maybe a few dozen um, people that I take inspiration from and there's more uh, beyond that as well so if you guys want to see more people that I really enjoy whose work I really enjoy and want to give credit to for influencing me that's on my website too I love that yeah, it's funny. We were going through your list of recommendations before we started recording, and you were like, "Have you had this person on or that person?" And it was like, "I was like probably fifteen people, and they've already been on the show." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were all really great recommendations. So um, hmm. I liked all of them. So, well, cool, Ben. This has been a lot of fun, dude. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been good to chat. Absolutely. Well, thanks to Ben for the great conversation on the podcast this week. If you're interested in joining us for a lively conversation over on Discord, check out the show notes. Ben and I continue the conversation over on Patreon for all of you wonderful people supporting the podcast financially through Patreon. Ben and I chat about prioritizing nature over photography, which is becoming a really big hot topic for me and a lot of other photographers right now. The conversation that we have takes on many shapes and many forms, and I think you'll enjoy it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash 
f-stop, and listen, or find a link in the show notes. If you already support the podcast on Patreon, thank you. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.